The internet can be a wonderful and useful tool. It can be used to create amazing things and stay connected to those that we love. But what happens when an obsession with the internet goes too far and it turns out that everyone is not who they seem to be? Hey, have you heard about the catfishing murders of East Tennessee? Hello everyone, welcome back to Hey Have You Heard About? I'm your host Maddie and joining me today is my friend Phoebe. Hi, thank you for having me. Yay, so glad you can be back on the podcast. Phoebe was here, you were here for, was it the King's Tavern episode? Yeah. Yes, the conspiracy. Back in 2019, I think. Yes, that was, no, no, that was the ghost 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 Tavern. Yeah. yeah, good times. Anyway, so hello everyone. Welcome to our summer two-parter series. This story is crazy this summer, and I'm not going to hype it up too much because I do need to get through the housekeeping and then, of course, the good news for this episode and all that stuff. If you guys want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. I post updates and clues about upcoming episodes, all that stuff. If you would like some merch for the podcast, you can check out our Teespring store. That link should be in the description or show notes. All of the proceeds from that store go straight to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It's a really great organization. Love supporting them. They will reach out to me occasionally and thank me for donations which is cool so definitely go check out the store to get some cute merch and support a good cause and then of course we have patreon so if you donate one dollar a month to our patreon you'll get weekly updates as well as access to episodes a day early some really nice perks and if you donate seven dollars you get access to all the final thoughts episodes which is a video series that i do about you know, my final thoughts and opinions about the cases that we talk about and all that fun stuff. Today's good news, it's titled, you probably heard of this because it went viral a couple weeks ago as we're recording this. Jaden Smith is going to open up a vegan restaurant where homeless people can eat for free. I actually hadn't heard of that. Really? Yeah. He started a food truck about two years ago to combat food insecurity for Los Angeles' homeless. He calls it the I Love You restaurant, which was a vegan food truck and he would donate it and give food to people on Skid Row in LA, which of course is traditionally seen as where a lot of people who are struggling live and all that type of stuff. So he was helping them out and he decided to turn this into a full-on restaurant for homeless people to get a free meal, which I think is amazing. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Jaden Smith and Willow Smith too, they're some of the celebrity babies that I think are actually out there using their platform for more than just trying to get them famous. Yeah. So I really like that about them. I think they're wonderful. And this article was really interesting too. He said that with plans for a more permanent non-rolling version of his restaurant on the table, Smith is parlaying the success of his past efforts into the next phase. He has a pay-as-you-can philosophy, which will help people, you know, pay for food and stuff like that if you can afford it and, you know, all that type of stuff, which is is wonderful. And I think, you know, it's good because we get so many, we get so much news nowadays about how celebrities are horrible. It's good to hear about a celebrity that's actually doing some good in life. With it being a vegan restaurant too, like that helps with a lot of dietary restrictions that, you know, they might not be able to access with fast food. Yeah, very true. I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. And it's hard enough to find like mm-hmm. vegan food very true even and it's always so expensive yeah right? so having it be free and easily accessible to people 
who may not have dietary restrictions, like they might not even necessarily be vegan, but mm-hmm. could have dietary restrictions or yeah. some kind of illness that makes them have to eat vegan. So this would definitely be a good help yeah. for them. Good job, Jaden. Proud of you, kid. All right, that's enough good news for today. This is a woo, this is a weird one. So let me give you some context. I had not heard about this story until about maybe a month ago, and I was on TikTok, uh, as I always am, ninety percent of my time. Even though you don't answer the TikToks I send you. Even though, well, I just I'm just vibing. I'm sorry, I send you probably fifty in a row. It's all good. It's I get my to, I get to eventually. character flaw. I get to him eventually. My character flaw is just not checking my notifications. But I was scrolling on TikTok and there was this viral video of this girl who you probably you might have seen it because it had upwards of like a million views or something like that. But it was of this girl who found out that another girl that she didn't know had taken pictures of first girl and her boyfriend and photoshopped herself in and cropped the girl making the TikTok out and pretended that her boyfriend was actually dating her. Didn't know this girl at all. That's so weird. And Fan was, behavior. Not only that, but she was catfishing people and saying like, this is my boyfriend and he has cancer, so you should donate to his cause or something like that. So she was making money off of it. I promise there's a there's a segue into the, the case today, but... I have not seen that TikTok, but... If I can find it, I'll send it to you. Thank you. That's wild. I know, it was wild. But anyway, so I was scrolling through this girl's account looking for part two because that's what you do on TikTok. You post a video and then you don't do a follow-up. But she actually made a follow-up and she was duetting. For those of you who don't have TikTok, duetting is like you react to somebody else's video. She was duetting somebody's reaction to her story and saying, this reminds me of this case that was on Investigation Discovery. There was a documentary about it and it was like about catfishing and this girl that was catfishing people and it ended poorly for a couple. And I was like, oh my God. So I watched the documentary. It's called Too Pretty to Live. It's a, It was a wild one and I was like, this is it. This is the story. <laughs> <laughs> so Phoebe, have you heard about the catfishing murders of East Tennessee? I have not. You have not. Well, I didn't either. This is a wild one, folks. Strap in. Okay, so let me set the scene. It's 2012, January 31st. We're going to start in this context. Part one is going to be about the case and some of the details about the case and the people involved. And then part two is going to be how we got to, I'll spoil the alert, there's murders, how we got to the murders happening. So part one okay. is what happened, part two is context. Okay. I know that's kind of wonky, but I think in order to do my dun-dun-dun moments, we got to do it that, this yeah. way. January 31st, 2012, Billy Payne and Billie Jean Hayworth, I'm going to refer to them as Payne and Hayworth because they, you know, Billy, Billie Jean. They were a couple living in Mountain City, Tennessee and they were living with their seven-month-old baby in, I think, Payne's father or grandfather's house. They, they were living with some relative of Payne's. Billy Payne's friend, Brad Osborne, showed up to hit the house at 6.30 a.m. The father or the grandfather figure, whoever was there, had left for work by this point. So Osborne went to go pick up Payne for work. He waited and waited and waited and noticed that there were bedroom lights on, tried to call people to see if they would come down, but nobody answered the phone. And finally, Brad Osborne got out of the car, walked around, and apparently the family left a glass door unlocked a lot of the time, because, you know, in the South, this is just what 
we do, especially if we live in a small town, sometimes we just leave doors unlocked so friends can come in and all that kind of stuff, you know? Maybe not. Or neighbor cats. Or neighbor cats, yes, exactly. The family had a glass door that was unlocked regularly. And so Brad Osborne went in and he started calling out to Billy Payne, you know, trying to get him, are you ready for work? All this stuff. He heard an alarm clock, but nobody was turning it off. And then he used the house phone to try and call Billy Payne's cell phone, but he didn't hear the cell phone ring. So he just kind of assumed that maybe he'd already left for work and Billie Jean Hayworth was asleep upstairs with the baby and he left and went to work that day. So it's already a little suspicious. I did Mm -hmm. say this was a murder. It's already a little suspicious. Were they dead? It's suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) It's suspicious. I do, real quick, I want to say 95% of this information was taken from a court document that Tennessee courts uploaded to the internet as a PDF. So if you guys want to check this out, it was really detailed, so a lot of this information is going to seem more detailed than it usually is for the show, but I do recommend checking it out. It's about 62 pages. I read through about, I want to say, 52 pages worth of it before it started to become less relevant to what we were discussing today. It'll be linked down below if you want to check it out. It's really interesting. So anyway, Brad Osborne went to go get Billy Payne for work. He didn't respond to phone calls or him actually going into the house and calling him out, and he left. So then a former neighbor named Ray Stevens came by to get his mail at 10 a.m. because the the family would, you know, go and get his mail that he wasn't being forwarded over to his new house or something. You you know how this works. Mm -hmm. He saw that the cars were still there, and so he thought that was odd, and he went in through the sliding door. He, He had brought his wife with him, to the house and he left her in the car and went in to go check to see if everybody was okay because the cars were still there. This was odd. He called out, but again, like there was no response. So finally he was walking towards the bedroom and he saw Billy Payne lying on the bed with blood on the floor and on his neck. So obviously something bad has happened. Not good. Stevens tried to get him to respond, and then when he noticed he wasn't responding, he finally ran out and told his wife, Linda, to call 911. Now, Linda had some medical training. I can't remember exactly what she was in the medical field, but she had some training, and she was trying to resuscitate Billy Payne, but she found that he was, quote, stiff and cold and saw his throat has been cut. So she finally called 911. Then Ray Stevens heard a sound and went into a separate bedroom. And this is what's really sad, is he found Billie Jean Hayworth dead and clutching her seventh month old, who was still alive. He was breathing, he was just asleep. Wow. Really sad, really rough. Can you tell me now if the baby lived? The baby did live. Okay. Yes, no, the baby, I I would not, I mean, besides last month's episode, I, I. wouldn't tell a story i think after dealing with chris watts and all that stuff i don't think i'm avoiding stories where children die gruesome deaths so yes the baby lived baby's still alive as far as we know obviously don't know the identity of the baby for probably good reasons but baby is alive that's good (laughs) yes so autopsies showed that both billy Payne and billy jean hayworth had suffered gunshot wounds to the head and Payne had a, a slash wound on his neck the court documents didn't say if that was what caused his death specifically or if it was done post-mortem all this stuff but both of the deaths were ruled homicide Mm -hmm. which is the right right call yeah right call when investigators started looking into the couple they started to hear about this online feud with this family who lived in mountain city called the potters they were like okay this is really weird this couple has just ended up dead and they were having this feud 
with this family. We have to investigate this. This is odd. So three days later, they finally interviewed the Potters. And the Potters lived about five to eight miles away from the victim's house. So really not that far away. They denied knowledge of the murders, but Janelle, who was the daughter, Janelle Potter, said that the victims had been harassing her. Now, we'll get more into Janelle and her history, I think, in part two. How old was Janelle at the time? Janelle was, I believe, in her 30s at the time. So the, were the Potters like an older couple? The Potters were an older couple. Janelle was around, I, I really, I think she was in her 30s okay. when this happened. She wasn't, I mean, 30s isn't old, but she wasn't like in her 20s, young, wild, and free. Mm -hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But Janelle claimed that problems had started when Billie Jean's friend made fun of her for using food stamps. Then she claimed that they made Facebook posts harassing her, and they hacked her account, put sugar in her gas tank, and damaged their property by, like, shooting at her trailer and all that stuff like that. That's so East Tennessee. Yeah. That is so East Tennessee. No offense to East Tennesseans, but like, you know. I can say that. We're from Mississippi. That's true. We're real yee-yee ourselves. True. No hate. Can't hate when you're inside the club. Exactly. Exactly. She denied posting anything about, you know, bad about the victims, even though people were saying to the police, yeah, she, she was saying all this really vile stuff and all this, you know, blah, blah, blah. She said she hadn't posted anything bad and just wanted to be left alone. And that's what the feud was, according to her, was they were harassing her because she said that they thought she was, quote, too pretty and wasn't going to be accepted, unquote, and that she was using food stamps and all this stuff, which is no shame in using food stamps at all. And it's just, I don't know, it's really, it's not adding up. Suspicious. It is. It's very sus. Very She also claimed that the victims and their friends had threatened to kill her on multiple occasions. One occasion specifically was she tried to take them to court to quit harassing her. Janelle did have, I believe, diabetes. She had health problems. And so she said that as she was leaving court, she started to feel really sick and started to, like, had to be carried out of court by her father, Buddy. Is her father's, it's not his real, I think Melvin is his real name, but the court documents called him Buddy, so his name is Buddy. Buddy and her boyfriend, Jamie, had to carry her out. She made the claim on the way out of court, Billie Jean Hayworth and her friends were saying like, I hope she dies, or we're gonna kill you, or something like that. Thoughts on that? Well, obviously that's terrible and you shouldn't say stuff about that, but Janelle does seem a bit suspicious. She is, she's very suspicious. So I'm like, how can we take her word? Mm -hmm. I think what got me and what got me whenever I started looking into the case and watching the documentary, which if you have Discovery Plus, I I only have Discovery Plus to watch Ghost Adventures, but if you have Discovery Plus, you know, you can watch the documentary on there. It's available on Investigation Discovery, so... I knew this was Zach Baggins' fault. <laughs> it really was. We can blame him for it. Yeah, I think the the fact that she's like saying like, oh, they just thought I was way too pretty, so they harassed me. Yeah. Like that's, that's I feel like that's the kind of stuff you would read like in a bad Wattpad story. Like, yeah. oh my gosh. All the popular girls just like 
they wear too much makeup and they just harass me because they know I'm just naturally beautiful, you know? One written by a seventh grader. Yeah, exactly. That's what it almost feels like. Which is fine when you're in middle school processing those emotions, but if Mm -hmm. you're 30... If you're, yeah, exactly. If you're 30 years old, that's when it's an oof. But so that's, that's what Janelle told investigators was that this feud was because of them and she didn't have anything to do with the murders. She didn't know anything about it, but the feud was because Billie Jean Hayworth was jealous of her pretty much and jealous of her life and the fact that she was really pretty and she had never said anything bad about them and she was just an angel and all this stuff and blah 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 can you tell how I feel about this woman not very well no okay well get ready police were trying to get a break in this investigation because it seemed like everything was pointing to the potters being involved somehow and of course they weren't going to fess up but finally Finally, about one week after the murders, Jamie, who was Janelle's boyfriend, and also Billy Payne's cousin, I believe, he was related to him somehow. Small world. Yeah. Jamie was being interrogated. This was his second interrogation. And he finally confessed to having a role in their deaths and that Buddy... Janelle's father was the one that actually shot them. This confession didn't really come out of nowhere. I mean, it seems like he was finally finally weighing on his conscience. You know, Yeah. this is going to sound bad. I think Jamie in this situation, I feel, I feel bad for Jamie because of, well, you'll see in a second. I don't know. He just was really strung along in this situation and only involved because he was misled about certain things. Okay. And all that stuff. I'll I feel. Save my I mean, I don't. I don't agree, obviously, with the fact that he murdered somebody or two somebodies, you know, or had a hand in it. I think he's a vile person for that. But I do feel kind of bad for him in the way that he did get involved, which we'll get into in just a second. He said that Buddy was the one that was shooting the Payne and Hayworth, and that he was the one that blocked Hayworth from escaping, which ultimately ended up to her, ultimately ended in, of course, her dying, which again, he's not innocent, but I feel bad for how he got involved with this. And then he took a lie detector test. They were like, do you want to take a lie detector test so we can have, you know, that proof that you're telling the truth? And he was like, yes. So he submitted to a polygraph. Of course, polygraphs aren't super reliable, but what made them sort of pause was that shortly after the polygraph test, he asked if the CIA was there at the police department. The CIA? The CIA. Huh. What do we think? Isn't that, isn't that kind of weird? So was he one of those guys who's like super conspiracy theorists? Not quite. There's a reason he's asking for, you know, if the CIA is there. He later testified that Buddy had told him that, quote, he was with the CIA. So Buddy was like, I'm working with the CIA. And when he was younger, Buddy had worked for the CIA. But of course, he's older now, probably Mm -hmm. not working for him. And not only that, he was telling people during his interrogation that somebody named Chris would have his back. Now, Chris was supposedly a CIA agent who reached out to Janelle with the claim that the victims were after her. Why would it be CIA and not FBI? I don't know. I don't know. But this is where this sort of piqued my interest. And I was when I was describing like the TikTok and everything like that, I did leave out this part where supposedly Chris quote unquote, the CIA agent would communicate to the Potters and Jamie through Janelle. So Janelle would be like, Chris told me this or through Janelle's email because Mm -hmm. he quote, had a phobia of phones. 
unquote. A CIA agent with a phobia of phones? Yes. That's a bit odd. It is a bit (laughs) odd. It's almost as if it's not real (laughs) who would have thought who would have thought yeah it's it's pretty wild and like here let me pull up i took a picture of the court document and this section in particular where they were describing this okay so here's the passage from the court document so it says around the time that victim hayworth moved in with victim Payne, jamie began receiving text messages from quote chris and he came to believe that chris existed janelle complained to jamie that people were posting negative comments about her and Chris also reported to Jamie about the things people were posting about Janelle online, saying, quote, it needed to stop. Chris said that he was, quote, a friend of Janelle's and told Jamie that he worked for the CIA. Chris did not have an email account. He always used Janelle's email account, and he contacted Jamie through texts or by email sent to Jamie's cell phone from Janelle's account. Sometimes I hear these types of cases and I'm like, how do you not realize? Yes, exactly. At that point, like exactly. I want to say I understand, but I don't. Mm-hmm. It's Being just... misled by technology, I get that. But yeah. like, I feel like there comes a certain point where you have to be like, how is this not at least a little bit suspicious? Well, I think, and we'll talk about this more in part two. But from what I understand, it seems like. Buddy and, let's see, Barbara, who was Janelle's mother, were also receiving these emails. And, you know, older people, as we all know, are more susceptible to lies on the internet. So even if it's coming from their own daughter's email account, I could see, you know, an older older person being like, oh yeah, from the CIA makes, I mean, the CIA is respectable and makes sense, like... Yeah. To be fair, I fall like pe- I feel like people in Gen Z would fall for it if you put it in an Instagram infographic. That's very true. <laughs> That's you very just true. Just gotta repackage it a different way. Exactly, exactly. Nine ways to know if the CIA is helping your friend. Exactly. It's like <laughs> CIA agent, some random like Instagram just sends you a DM and it's like, hey, I'm a CIA agent and so-and-so's getting bullied at school and you need to stop it, you know? Yeah, I, I could see that happening for sure. Chris, obviously, you know, Jamie was convinced that he was real. He was like, this guy works for CIA, Buddy used to work for CIA, so they have that connection. It makes sense that CIA would be involved since Buddy was part of it. Chris is gonna come in here and have my back even though I just confessed. <laughs> To a murder and all this kind of stuff, yeah. So after the confession, investigators had Jamie call the Potter's residence while they recorded the conversation. Buddy answered, well, first Barbara answered and was asking, like, did you do a polygraph test? Did you pass? You know, all of this stuff. And then she handed the phone over to Buddy and Jamie started asking about the weapons that they had used. Like, did you get rid of the weapons? And Buddy was like, yes, I got rid of the weapons. This is where I put them. You know, all that's pretty much confessed on the phone without knowing that he's being recorded. Wait, wait, question. So Mm -hmm. is Tennessee one of those states where you only have to have consent from one party to record? I think so. Because I know there was... Okay, this is very off topic, but uh-huh. the whole Kim K. Taylor thing yes. five years ago, uh-huh. the whole there was a lot of legal questions about re- recording uh-huh. the and Kim leaking it on her Snapchat, the conversations between Kanye and Taylor. Yeah. Like, if that was legal, because, like, were they recorded in California or mm-hmm. New York? Do you have to have consent from both people to record? Right. Can it be used in court? Yeah. Stuff like that. Well, maybe, I mean, I feel like it, in 2012 when this took place, Maybe now they do, but I feel like, you know, that really wasn't too much of a concern 
and like issue in 2012 is like yeah. should we get consent from this person to record you know you get what i'm saying yeah so well, i mean if they were if jamie had agreed to it then i guess they had consent on his side oh yeah no they definitely had consent from jamie yeah. i just don't know if they did i doubt they did from buddy because they were trying to like catch him um and obviously they did february 7th 2012 just a couple weeks after the murder buddy was finally arrested and the potter's house was searched so barbara the mother actually this this kind of made me this horrible it kind of made me go oh when i was like reading the court document while the investigators were there looking over the house trying to find evidence to support you know the fact that the murders they had done the murders barbara walked up to an investigator and ripped up evidence right in front of him that's not allowed no it's like that's big not allowed i mean it and it was email evidence i think it was like copies of printouts of emails between them and chris quote unquote chris does she not realize you can just print them out again i guess not because <laughs> like again older person that probably doesn't know technology that well but the fact that she was just like right in front of investigators i just went oh like the boldness of Mm -hmm. this woman someone's been watching too much reality tv i know for real in addition to the evidence that they found at the house were you know guns that they seized they took the computer's hard drive and they confiscated or they took buddy's truck as a way to you know look through it for evidence buddy claimed on a phone call with barbara that quote he did it because of what the victims were trying to do to janelle and her mother so again he's convinced that the victims were out to get janelle Mm -hmm. and they were out to i mean based on what she says according to what she's been saying they're out to kill her so Mm -hmm. his mindset was we have to get to them first yeah and unfortunately that's what happened barbara tried to tell him that he she saw him sitting in front of her when the murder happened specifically he made this phone call from prison i don't know if she knew that the call was being recorded it was of course because Mm -hmm. you know prison calls are recorded i don't know if she knew that it was being recorded and this was her way of being like you know setting up an alibi for him Mm -hmm. so that he wouldn't be convicted of it i just don't know but she kept saying on the phone you were sitting right in front of me when the murders happened you Mm -hmm. were sitting right in front of me now again i don't know if it's being recorded if she even knew or if she was just saying what she believed and she somehow you know thought that he was there cognitive dissonance yeah i don't know it's it's weird but she she just kept saying that on the phone so they found three trash bags of shredded paper in buddy's truck and the documents were all emails between barbara and chris so obviously they knew that chris was basically like somebody that they had to cover up that they Mm -hmm. had to hide they they were aware enough of chris yeah you know suspicious whether they knew whether they thought maybe he's not real and this is weird or maybe they thought he's a cia agent and he we have to be confidential about it they had the idea to destroy evidence that they had been talking to him i mean if you just murdered someone you're gonna want to destroy all traces that can oh lead yeah you back to absolutely so murders. that's probably what it was is they were like we can't let people know that we've been talking to chris and trying to plan this thing out with chris Mm-hmm. the cia agent dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. investigators took the shredded 
emails and started putting a ton of them together. I believe, based on what the court document said, they had, oh gosh, I bet I wrote it down somewhere. Let me see. Maybe I didn't. I don't think I did. They had like at least 200 pages of emails between, maybe, maybe, I know they brought like 200 to the court. I think it was upwards of maybe 2,000 that they what? had. 2,000? Of papers and emails between the family and Jamie and Chris. So they had to like put those back together. Yeah. Oh, no thank you. Yeah, real tedious. <laughs> no, but no. as they started to read through all these emails, they saw that Chris approached the family first by saying that he was watching the victims closely because he had seen that Janelle was being harassed online. And he said that they were planning to harm Janelle. And then Chris made the claim in the emails and he said that they, quote, need to die, unquote. Chris, the CIA agent... Has ordered a hit on yeah, these two he random really people has. in Tennessee. He really has. It's 2012. Why is Chris not going after ISIS if he's CIA? Exactly. Come on, Chris. Get your priorities straight. <laughs> exactly. There is so much more stuff that going... And again, nowadays, it's like, you know, I'm sure there are governor, government people that their job is to stake out online and look for, like, fake news or, like you know, threats against the government and stuff like that. Usually that's FBI if it's domestic. Exactly. And so... That's what gets me. But I I also don't think that they're randomly scrolling through Facebook, looking through East Tennessee and Mountain City residents' Facebooks and saying like, oh, this person is trying to harm this other person. At most, I feel like that would be a police investigation. Yeah, I think CIA agents have something better to do with their time. Yeah. Yeah. But... They started to notice that in the emails that Chris was sending to the family and Jamie, there were a ton of pictures that Chris was sending. Pictures of what he, who he claimed to be himself, pictures of his dog, and pictures of his friends. So they were like, oh, so Chris is a real person. And they started doing some research, started looking into the family history and all that stuff, where the family came from, and they found a hit. They found Chris. Dun, dun, dun. And Chris was a man who lived in Delaware. He worked for the Delaware police force where he lived. I'm not going to give his last name. It's online. You can find his last name, but this poor man has been through enough. Connected them back to this guy in Delaware who used to work for the police department and found out that he was not involved with the CIA. Were they using his pictures to catfish? Girl, Chris was a catfish the whole time. Dun, dun, dun. Oh so yes and this goes so much deeper and i really want you guys to stick around this is where we're gonna end part one because like i know we're kind of moving through that really quick do you have any questions at all about all of this i'm just excited to hear more i know listen i knew chris was a catfish because they said that chris was a catfish in the tiktok video but the more that you go into this story girl this one janelle it's not just Chris that's a catfish. This goes deep. It gets crazy. Oh it gets insane. So hold on. Part two is coming in July. Stick around. Excited to share it with you guys. We're going to go over who the Potters are more in depth. And we're going to go over the cesspool that is the rest of this story. We'll see you in part two. Ooh. 
that is the end of part one of our two-part summer episode. If you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow us on our social medias, Instagram and Twitter at HHYHA Podcast. If you like what you hear, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. They really help. I read every single one of them. If you want some merch and want to donate to a good cause, check out our Teespring store, teespring.com slash hey, have you heard about? All of the proceeds made from the merch store go straight to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Want to support the show directly? Check us out on Patreon. For $1 a month, you can get weekly updates and episodes a day early. Thanks so much and see y'all in part two.